0: are listening to the slash and Cast podcast network.
1: This episode is brought to you by poker.game. Poker.game is the first blockchain-based play-to-earn game that allows players from all over the world to earn, trade, buy and sell NFTs through hands of poker. Poker.game is powered by their token PKR, which is now live and tradable on MetaMask. Pancake Swap, BitMart, and Bittrex. Learn more about the multiple patents that make PKR special by going to pkr.io. Richard Kuklinski was an American serial
0: killer who was convicted of five murders and had claimed he had a body count of almost 200 men. Graduating from petty crime, car theft, and bootlegging pirated pornography, he became a brutal enforcer for the mob. Join us as we discuss his upbringing, his first gang, and his first murders. Welcome to another episode of the Cabinet of Dr. Mystery. I am your host, Dr. Mystery.
1: I tried to create living zombies. Reports that have been made by credible observers of relatively incredible things. All I gotta do is relax, and they'll take me to their job last chance to evacuate Earth before it is recycled. This is a wicked, wicked world. We are all evil in some form or another. Law enforcement authorities have arrested one of the most notorious contract killers in state history. A self-employed Bergen County man is behind bars, charged with five murders, and prosecutors are investigating his involvement in dozens more.
0: This is unwarranted unnecessary these guys watch too many movies welcome to another episode of the cabinet of dr mystery i am so excited to finally be telling this story of richard kuklinski this has definitely been something that i've been wanting to talk about for quite some time and i'm really excited that we're finally uh, beginning to be able to bring this story to you now in today's episode we're just going to briefly Talk about Richard's childhood. We're going to talk about his terrible, terrible abusive family members. His parents were monsters. We'll get into that in just a second. Here, we're also going to talk a little bit about his experimentation and a couple of his first murders and his first gang. But we're we're going to dive into some of these sadistic killings that he's made in further episodes. Today, we're just going to kind of give you a, a roundabout idea of who. Richard was as a monster, (laughs) as a person, as a terrible, monstrous person. But, you know, I just wanted to say thank you for your patience. I know it's been a while since we've dropped a new episode. We had that re-release where we uh, dropped episode 14. Uh, Again, it's one of my favorite episodes. It's one of the only episodes that I've ever really had a guest on the show and uh it featured my very good friend Hassan from the Nerd Alternative podcast. So, I you know I really wanted to share that again because I've asked a lot of my friends that listen to the show what their favorite episode is and that's one of the uh top answers is episode 14. So we re-released that um and we gave you that Gypsy Rose episode and the Nexium Cult episodes, but I just wanted to say thank you for your patience. I've started a new job, which is very demanding. It's a lot of fun. It's very rewarding, but it takes up a lot of my time. So, between that and my other side gigs, and you know, this COVID thing has been a little ridiculous. I've had some family members and some friends in and out of the hospital. So it's just been a really difficult time for me in terms of um, having some free time. So I really want to say thank you for all of your patience. I know that some of these episodes are coming out a little bit later but it's really really appreciated that you're still sticking with us even though we might not be meeting the deadline every single time but what well, you know this is this pa- uh this this podcast is such a passion project of mine it really means a lot to me so I'm, I'm gonna try to make sure that it's on the forefront but it's always difficult to find some quiet time to record especially since i live with other people but that's enough excuses i just wanted to say that I really appreciate your patience with us. So you know we've talked about some serial killers in the past, um, and you know I think one of the biggest ones that we did was with Richard Ramirez, who was an absolute monster himself. Um, but this is a little bit different. This isn't like a serial killer that's killing for a certain reason, right? With with Richard, his you know Richard Ramirez, I should say to clarify, his whole thing was that he was ingrained in this whole mentality that that's how you deal with things, that's how you deal with your problems is by murdering people, right? He had really bad influences in his life that twisted his frame of mind. With other serial killers, you have like Jeffrey Dahmer killed for passion, killed uh, to experiment with cannibalism. You know, you have um, the BTK killer killed Uh, for sexual gratification. You have others that are mission killers. But Richard kind of breaks the mold in a sense. He's not a mission killer. Richard had a different uh, perception of things. Richard just killed to experiment. He just killed because he wanted to. If you looked at him the wrong way, he would kill you just because you gave him a bad vibe. If you said the wrong thing to him, he would kill you just because he didn't like you. So Richard's thing was that he was just a brutal, sadistic man who, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't have any sort of specific person that he was going after, right? He would just kill to kill. And eventually, as we'll see in this episode, that led him down a path to working with the mafia, just this desire to be a brutal, brutal person just in general. Before we dive in, I'm going to uh, break into one of these houseplant limes here. It's always really tricky to get into them. I'm not sure we have a lot of listeners in the U.S., but for those of you who are in Canada, if you've ever tried these houseplant drinks before, you should let me know on social media or in the comments of you know this is going to be on YouTube eventually. You can let me know what you actually think of these. I think that they're really good, um, but whenever you break into a, a cannabis drink they have a like a child safety lock on all of the cannabis products here in Canada and hopefully everywhere but it's it's incredibly difficult to get into you have to first you have to peel off the label and like kind of like tear into it and then you have to it's kind of this. It's this black cap and you have to break the top off so sometimes it's incredibly difficult to get into. It's called Can Plus. It's it's a child res- resistant can top. It's a really interesting concept, but you know, with the houseplants and the tweed drinks, I find that it's easy to get them the the caps off, but on something like Every, you end up actually taking the whole label off of the drink instead of the the protective child cap top. Anyway so this is a houseplant lime. It's got two and a half milligrams of THC and I'm gonna crack into it. It's one of my favorite drinks. I really like this one and I have a grapefruit one with me as well. I like that one. We also have tweed grapefruit water as well. I'm pretty sure that I've already talked about houseplant on this show. A lot of you know I really like trying out new beer. I like craft beer. I like beer from other countries or other parts of Canada. I really enjoy beer that have different flavors. Like I had this really interesting one in uh, in Halifax. It's called it. Well, it's from Propeller, one of my favorite breweries in the whole world. Um, That's a lot to put on Propeller's shoulders, but it's well deserved. They used to have, I'm not sure if they still do. It's been a while since I've been there. Um uh, but they have they had this really interesting beer. They had a, a a dark lager. Um I believe it was a lager. It was it was a really good beer. It was a, a, like kind of like a nuttier beer. And then they had this raspberry um jam beer, raspberry jam beer, which was really really good and I went to this one bar. Uh, I cannot remember the name of it now, but it's, it was down on Quinn pool. It's right across from the superstore there. So I used to work at the superstore and then I would go and meet all the homies at the bar down the street. There is really good bar. They had a a few of them in the city and they had this really cool concept where they took this nuttier, like it, it was kind of like a, a peanut buttery nutty kind of, Beer that they had, which was really good on its own. And they took the raspberry jam, which was really good on its own. They had these two really good beers. And you see where I'm going with this. And they made a PB and J beer. And it was fantastic. It was basically just the two beers poured together, but it was absolutely delicious. So Propeller is an amazing brewery. If you've never been there and you're in Halifax or in the area where Propeller is, I highly recommend trying some propeller if you ever had the opportunity but you know you a lot of you know that I really like beer because you can hear me cracking a beer and slurping on it and moaning that oh mm, this is so delicious someone was making fun of me the other day because of that which honestly is well deserved um I'm gonna try to chill on that but one thing that you may not know if you we have one of our logos that has a weed leaf in it but I don't really talk about cannabis too much on the show i don't think but i have started trying some really cool concentrates so i'm probably going to talk about cannabis more on the show just because it's another passion of mine i really enjoy like when i was a kid and i used to smoke i was kind of annoyed that all the weed that i would try tasted like ass and yes, I know what ass tastes like. Don't bother asking me that question. Come on, guys. I'm an old man. Of course, I know what ass tastes like. <laughs> oh, God. I was really bummed out that like all the weed that I was getting was just like shake. Every once in a while, you could get some like purple kush. You could get something that was really colorful, something that was really crystal or really hairy, something that was really sticky. But most of the weed that you got was just shit. It was just shake. It was garbage, right? And it probably didn't help that I was smoking out of a pop can for like at least a solid three months there. But, you know, now that now that cannabis is legalized, like even when I had a medical license before it was legalized, there's much better weed out there. And there's different forms of ingestion. And it's just something that I'm I'm really enjoying The last several months, I've been really getting into concentrates and drinks and different forms of edibles and that sort of stuff. And the last couple months here, I've been really diving headfirst into different types of concentrates. So, one thing that I tried was an Outlaw Rosin, which was really good. The taste was, you know, meh, but overall, the product was incredible. Wonderful, easy smoke. Very good consistency of the product it w- its a, I would recommend it if not for the smoke itself but it, it had a delicate taste. it wasn't very overpowering. but I also tried the uh, diesel honeycomb by spinach. Now I gotta say I was really disappointed when I opened up the package and it looked like it looked like it was originally a honeycomb but that it had just completely melted and it was just one solid blob. So that was really disappointing. It did not look as good as the picture. It was like going to McDonald's and ordering a Big Mac and getting something that resembles like just a single patty. You know, you know it just didn't look like it was advertised, which was disappointing, but it tasted really good. It was a really nice smoke and it was very very chill. It was a very mellow high. Now, one thing that I was absolutely blown away by, I was at this I was at the store And I saw that, I think it's Quest, I think it's Quest, Apricot uh, Apricot Kush Gems and Juice. That stuff is phenomenal. It's basically like a very thin uh, syrupy, you know, um, I don't know if it's a live sugar. I don't think it would be. I think it would be more of like a, a, a thin rosin almost, right? Um, and then you have these little diamonds, little cush diamonds, little pot diamonds. And honestly, I literally, I took a tiny little scoop of the syrup, right? And I put it in there and then I took one gem and I put it in this honey stick nano nanodabber silencer adapter and it is phenomenal. It has lasted me forever and every time I take a hoot off of it, I am expecting not to get anything out of it and I get the biggest hits and I still only have this one gem so I feel like like I have I've been showing some people which is probably not a good idea honestly you probably shouldn't advertise that you have a lot of cannabis on you but I've been showing people my collection of cannabis and and accessories and stuff and you know I I feel like I have to stop buying stuff now like I feel like just this one container of gems and juice is gonna last me forever. It's like, it's like fucking Buzz Lightyear of weed. It's just to infinity and beyond. Anyway, I'm. I just wanted to share that I'm really enjoying experimenting with concentrates. And if you haven't, like, you should give it a shot. It's worth it. A lot of people really just stick with flour or pre rolls, but there is such. There's like an immense amount of cannabis product out on the market right now. Like seriously. You have you have drinks, you have um breath strips, right? Which is crazy. You have different oils and gel caps, you have topicals, you have all these different forms of ingestion. And it's just really weird to see that people just always stick with flour. Like, I love flour. I love, you know, smoking a J or, you know, hitting a pipe or or a little bong or whatever. Um, flour is always wonderful, pre-rolls are great, but there's just so many different ways that you can ingest cannabis now. Why wouldn't you try something new? So my thing is it's the same sort of idea with me and beer. I would like to try some craft beer. I would like to try something new and innovative and, and delicious. There's no reason for you to have dirty old beer still. Anyway, that is my cannabis speech for the day. I know that I'm getting I'm getting a little bit off topic. I told you we were going to talk about Richard Kuklinski, but I just wanted to update you on the new and exciting things that are going on in my life because it's been a while since I've had the opportunity to sit down and talk to you. And, you know, again, I'm just going to reiterate this before we get into some gruesome uh, bloody tales here. I really seriously appreciate you. If you are listening to this show, I honestly, seriously, really, really appreciate you. You mean a lot to me. I'm sure you mean a lot to a lot of other people, but you really mean a lot to me. So if you want to connect with me, I would love it. I would love it. We're we're going to be doing more live shows. And in our live shows, you can actually connect with me. You can call into the show. You can write in the chat. You can look at different pictures that I've put up on the live show. You can Sometimes you can even see video of me live talking to you. I would love to make that connection with you. It's always a really, really fun experience. And there's a lot of unique people out there. I would love to connect with you. We go live on Bullhorn, bullhorn.com. And you can also download the app onto your phone. We post on our social medias, mainly our Twitter. That's my favorite platform, honestly lot more people like me there than Instagram, let's be honest. But it could be because I'm like 150 years old. But um, the, you know, like I, I want to connect with you. You can catch our updates on our Twitter feed and you can see all of the links and all that good shit. Come and hang out with me the next time I do a live show. I love you. I know other people in your life love you, but I love you too. So love me back. So hopefully I don't have too much cotton mouth here right now. I'm pretty stoned. It's, it's a, you know, it's my day off. I'm going to hang out, talk to you guys, drink some pot, smoke some pot, hang out for a little bit. Um, I had some beer last night, went out with some friends and celebrated, had a couple drinks, had a, had a really, really good time just hanging out with people, which is weird because, you know, I don't know. It's just weird. As you get older. you're just less fun. (laughs) Anyway, why don't we talk about Richard Kuklinski here a little bit. In April of 1935, Richard Kuklinski was born to Stanley Kuklinski and Anna McNally, Polish and Irish immigrants. He was raised in a strict religious environment, like me. Richard was frequently beaten by his father, and he also claimed his mother routinely routinely broke broom handles and household objects because of the severity of her beatings. Now, I wasn't so much beaten as I was raised in this strict religious environment. I was actually having this conversation last night about how religion is such a demanding thing in life and how when you... Like myself, as a child that was raised in a strict religious upbringing, you know, my my siblings that are younger right now, they don't really, they, they have a, a taste of this, but they haven't really experienced it as much as myself and my uh, other sister did, where, you know, it was very strict. My mother made us go to church every single Sunday, and if there was like a youth group or there was like a church event, we were always at that church event. It was a very strict upbringing where we weren't allowed to listen to other types of what we called secular music, right? We weren't allowed to do other things with secular people. We weren't allowed to go see secular movies, right? It was a very strict religious upbringing. There was more to it than that. You know, I'm a Mennonite. So, a lot of my family, like not not my immediate family, but my my grandparents' brothers and sisters, right? They their uh, their side of the family on my mother's side, like it's 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 difficult to explain to somebody who hasn't seen this sort of thing. But it's almost like a step away from Amish. It's it's very very strict, and men and women have specific roles in this organization. And if you step out of line, you get chastised. So it's really interesting for me to have conversations with other people that have been affected by religion. And I think that um, Richard was really, you know, this is—he was raised in like the 40s, right? So he really was like put through the ringer in terms of religion and this whole holier-than-thou aspect that his parents put on. And you know, as we go through this, we'll see that his parents have committed infidelities. That his parents, you know, they—they hung this whole, you know, heavy, heavy weight over the whole family about being religious and practicing religion and being devoted to god but they had all this infidelity his two parents would sleep with other people right so we'll we'll get into that in a little bit here but it's just really interesting to me to see how hypocritical his family was his parents were so richard's mother anna she was raised in an orphanage So, this is in the 19, you know, like the 20s and 30s that she was raised here. She was routinely beaten by nuns and she was regularly molested by priests at that facility. So, she was in this orphanage and she was routinely beaten and routinely abused. And, you know, as she grew older, she moved into a convent herself to become a nun, but that didn't really pan out for her, you know, like she just wasn't cut out for it it just wasn't for her she to put it this way richard stated that you know his mother was cancer but that she was really affected by everything that happened in her life he he said that she was basically a shell of a woman and she you know for years and years and years she was abused she was systematically abused and and sexually assaulted and that i can only imagine what that would do to a person and then you have children of your own, and you're trying to raise them, and your children can sense that there's something wrong with you. That there not not that there's something wrong with you, but there is something wrong. That there that inherently in your life something bad happened to you, and it it it's left you a hollow shell of a person. Now he said all that about his mother, but what he said about his father, he said, and he wouldn't he would never call Stanley his father. He would call Stanley, Stanley. He would call him by his first name. He was not dad. He was not my father. He was Stanley. And he said that he hated his father. He hated him up until the day that he died. Now, Richard's father used to beat Richard. Not only did he beat Richard, he also used to beat his wife and their other sons, Joseph and Florian. Stanley was cruel he was jealous, and he was a possessive alcoholic. He often claimed that Florian wasn't his own child, and that Anna was sleeping with another man. Now, in contrast, like I said, they they committed a lot of infidelities. We see that Stanley was the one sleeping around. He was also sexually assaulting his wife on regular occasions. So he basically thought of his wife as his property, and that she was there for him to use and abuse in a in a in a rough derogative sense of the of the words there, that's that's the way that Stanley viewed his wife. Was that not that she was a human being that deserved love and respect, but that she belonged to him. And we'll see that, you know, he Stanley would would just openly have sex with other women in front of his family. And he was Stanley was such a sadistic let's just say he's a bastard. He was a bastard. He actually once stabbed his wife in the back. That's how fucked up this guy is. He would just routinely abuse her and at one point he just had stabbed her. It blows my mind. So you see that, not that this is an excuse, but this could most certainly be a reason that Richard would be acting the way that he acts, right? Because this is all that he knows. This is what he's grown up with. It's the same thing when we look at Richard Ramirez this is all that he knows. Violence, brutality, assault. That's all that he knows. Now, when you think of Richard Kuklinski, he's a big, like, 300 pound, probably, like, taller than me, or at least as tall. Like, he's probably at least six feet, and he's 300 pounds, maybe taller than that. He's he's a big guy. But what you don't know is that when Richard was younger, he was a bit of a bitch. Like, let's be honest. Richard used to wet himself, at the sound of stanley's voice which resulted in him getting more beatings so stanley used to beat richard and his whole family so badly that his son would piss himself at the sound of his father's voice and when he would do this he would get even more beatings just never ended one night we're going to go back to florian how florian is claimed to not be stanley's son one night When Richard was five, Stanley beat Florian to death. He punched the boy in the back of the head until he fell to the floor and didn't get up. Now, basically what they did was they just said, oh, you know, Florian fell down the stairs and died. Oh, the house sad. Boo hoo. And, you know, back in the day, people were like, oh, yeah, that's unfortunate, right? No one asked questions like this guy. This kid was beaten to death. His dad just punched him in the back of the head until he died. But, you know, for a brief moment after Florian's death, the beatings ceased. Richard was safe. And when the assaults did start up again, they were even more fierce and brutal than before, as if Stanley was making up for lost time. Richard was a shy and awkward kid, and he was frequently bullied. So that's not what you you think when you think about Richard Kukinsky. You don't think about him being bullied, you think about him being the bully. And as we go through this episode, we'll see his transition from one to the other. After one beating from two Irish teens. After one beating from two Irish teens, Stanley dragged Richard up the stairs and beat him. And his father insisted that he go back out and face his bullies. And when Richard went back out and gave his bullies a severe beating, The Irish boy's father came out to stop the fight. And Stanley leapt out of the window of the house and knocked out the boy's father with one punch. So I'm picturing that. I'm picturing that. And, you know, I listened to this episode uh, maybe uh, at least a year ago before, but I I listened to this episode again a couple months ago with uh, the last podcast on the left. It said, I think it's an older one where they talked about Richard Kuklinski. And it you know, um and Henry was talking about seeing his father uh actually like get in, you know, kick it into high gear, get in action and and you know, move really quickly. And he was saying, like, oh my god, I didn't realize that my father could move like that, right? Now, my stepdad, my father, he he is kind of a lumbery guy. I I would describe him that way. Like he he doesn't walk, he lumbers around, right? He makes his way into places. I don't know I don't know if I'm describing it right, but he's not to see him move swiftly is terrifying. Like you he he's not the kind of person that you would expect would move very quickly in a short period of time. When he does, it is frightening. Like you are it is terrifying when he gets into high gear and moves. Like it is it is a sight to behold so the idea of this man who like beats everyone around him not my stepfather i'm talking about the i'm talking about richard's father but the idea of stanley being this vicious this vicious brutal guy and then just kicking it into high gear and booking it across the lawn and beating the shit out of this dude that is terrifying to me this image of my this this image in my head of Stanley being this vicious, almost like brutal dictator of the household, seeing him kick it into high gear would be frightening. Now, eventually, Anna gave birth to two more children. She gave birth to a girl named Roberta and the boy that we mentioned earlier, Joseph. Joseph would grow to become a, now you're, see, I'm, I'm setting you up to think that I'm going to say something good. I You know, I I just want to make this clear. You know what podcast you're listening to. I'm I'm going to mention what Joseph did in a second here, and not leave you in too much suspense, but it's not good. Right? It's not good. Let me restart this sentence and picture like just think about what I'm going to say here and think about this show that you're listening to. <laughs> Joseph would grow to become a rapist and murderer. <laughs> like this family is messed. He would become a rapist and a murderer. He was eventually being, you know, he was eventually imprisoned in the same facility as his older brother. So just think about the show that you're, you're listening to, right? Because when I was reading that, I was like, oh, I hope this is happy. It's not happy. It's not a happy sentence. Stanley eventually became, you know, this, this, how do I say this? Stanley eventually began bringing women back to their house. And like I said, he would openly have sex with these women in front of his wife, in front of his remaining children, the ones that he hasn't beaten to death. And, you know, if Anna would complain or say anything about him sleeping with women in her presence, he would get up and he would beat her with a belt or he would kick and hit her. So, these young boys had this idea in their head that this is normal behavior, right? obviously they're scared and they're frightened because they're children, but they have this idea that this is normal behavior that this is how men act, so like I was saying, I'm not sure if I said this on the show, but I've definitely said it in the discord and I've said it in other groups as well. the whole thing about how do we reduce serial killers how how do we reduce uh, violent men, right? How do we change the way that men react around women and, and treat women? Well, it starts with the men that are men now. We have to realize these things that have been inherently um, um, ingrained in us by society and by our father figures. And we have, to, we have to change the way that we treat people, the way that we act with women. And you need to raise uh, boys into young men that respect women. And that's really just the cut and dry solution, honestly, right? Obviously, it's easier said than done. But the idea here that I'm getting at is this is what these boys were taught. And yeah, one of them grew up to be a rapist and a killer. The other one grew, grew up to be a mass like serial murderer. It's because of how they were raised. Yeah, you can say that there are certainly some people that uh, have just like a murderous tendency, right? Some people that are just fucked. But, you know, in this situation, even if there was something going on mentally or, or whatever in their bodies where they were twisted individuals to begin with, they are taught that this behavior is okay by their father. And that's really the catalyst for their future behavior and the way that they act. Anyway, that's my TED Talk for the day. So thankfully, Stanley ended up moving in with a Polish woman and the family saw him, you know, less and less. So that's, a, that's one thing to be thankful for. But at this point, Anna began getting more strictly religious and she enrolled all the children in two Catholic schools. Now, obviously, at these Catholic schools, Richard, at least, and I'm assuming the rest of the children were beaten by nuns and priests. Now, again, with this organized religion, and I don't mean to slight anyone that's religious, obviously do your thing, but also like think about what you're doing also. But, you know, we see a lot of this abuse with nuns, priests, with, with religious figures. And I can only assume Uh, You know, I suspect that Richard and the other children were sexually assaulted. He never specifically states this, but, you know, there's there's interviews, and maybe I'll talk about it in a future episode, but there are interviews with his wife where she talks about how she's, like, uh, absolutely positive that Richard was systematically sexually abused as a child because there are things that he just wouldn't talk about she would ask him a question, she would talk to him about something and then sometimes she would go too far and it would be something where if he would answer the question he'd have to tell her what happened, right? So I suspect that there was some sexual abuse as well. Now, again, none of this is an excuse for his behavior, but you know, Richard, he used to torture animals for fun, which really turns my stomach, honestly. He he would kill cats and dogs by setting them on fire and torturing them. So he would he, you know, I don't want to dive into this too much because it's terrible, but he would tie dog's tails to a bus. He would throw cats in an incinerator and watch them try to get out. You know, he, he was, he was a sadistic young man. And, you know, it just continued that he just became more and more sadistic. He also began stealing when he was a young boy. And after his father, essentially, Stanley essentially abandoned them, there were times where his mother would neglect them. She, you know, she would neglect to provide for the family and would scarcely feed them. So he began stealing cakes and desserts and other food from a bakery or bakery trucks. He would just like, when, there, when, when people weren't paying attention, he would break into these bakery trucks and he would steal food from the trucks. And, you know, he developed an impressive set of skills when it came to theft. He began stealing from train cars on railroad yards. He stole fruit and meat and a bunch of other food from, you know, freezer containers, from from cold storage containers. He really liked true crime. He Now, I don't know if this says a lot about me, um, but Richard Kuklinski was very into true, true crime, and he would steal true crime. Well, if I fucking say true crime 300 times. He would steal true crime magazines from newsstands and from candy stores, right? And these magazines, they gave him, you know, insider knowledge on how to become the great criminal mastermind that he aspired to be. <laughs>
1: Thank you again to our sponsor, Poker.Game. If you've heard about the metaverse, poker is ahead of the trend, with the rollout of their metaverse coming soon. Poker is the first blockchain-based, free-to-play, play-to-earn, non-gambling poker game where you earn NFTs. It uses TRNG technology and Unreal Engine 4 for immersive and powerful gameplay. Poker is currently past their second beta round of testing and plans to launch on platforms such as iOS, Android, Windows, and streaming platforms with intended support for next-gen VR. The integration of NFTs within the gaming sphere is the future, and poker will become one of the first to introduce NFT rewards within its metaverse. If you are interested in online table games, the upcoming metaverse, or you're a crypto or NFT enthusiast, Check out Poker by going to P-O-L-K-E-R dot game.
0: I'm going to crack into this grapefruit uh, tweed drink here, and then I'll crack into the grapefruit houseplant. I'm trying to break into this childproof cap again. I've got it down to a science now, honestly. Like, when I first started opening these things, it was a real struggle. Whatever you're doing, whatever your choice in life, whether you're sober or you're drinking, or you're consuming cannabis. I just hope you're being safe, and you're having fun. Turn into goddamn body break over here. Give me 10 jumping jacks. I don't know. You know what? That that could be something where I'm isolating a certain amount of uh, listeners, because how many of you know what body break is? Is that a thing in the US? I don't know. It's a thing in Canada. I don't know if it's still a thing, or if they made a comeback or not. But. Body break! ha. <laughs> Eventually, at the age of 13, oh, yeah, well, I'm just going to dive right in. I, you know, I'm not even going to address how I just went on a tangent there for 10 minutes. Eventually, at the age of 13, Richard graduated to joyriding and stealing cars from different lots, and he would cruise around. And, you know, you could say that as a 13-year-old carjacking and, and, and joyriding and shit, well, I don't know if he carjacked. But he definitely stole cars from different lots and he would cruise around. That's pretty cool for a 13-year-old, right? Like, that's pretty chill, man. I mean, don't steal cars. I'm not saying go and steal a car. I'm just saying for, like, a 13-year-old to be doing that. Like, when I was 13, I was, you know, what the fuck was I doing when I was 13? I was playing with Barbies or some shit, you know? Like, and this guy's stealing cars, like, bigger badass than I am. But, unfortunately you know, being a badass, he couldn't escape the bullying that he received from his peers. The leader of one of these groups of bullies was Charlie Lane. Charlie Lane ended up being Richard's first victim. Now, Richard plotted Charlie's death. He he thought about stabbing him, about poisoning him, about, you know, doing all these sorts of things. He had all these different ideas like how can I kill this motherfucker, right? And Eventually, he plotted Charlie's death. You know, he he figured out a plan and he was like, I know what I'm going to do and I'm going to do this, right? So, he took a a wooden dowel, which, you know, like would be used in your closet to like hang your clothes on, right? And he stalked the boy at night and uh, his idea was he was going to beat him with this wooden dowel, with this wooden bar. Now... Richard did that. He found Charlie. He, he, he was like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to put this plan in motion. And he did it. But he unintentionally beat Charlie to death. His rage just overpowered any of his senses. And he beat Charlie Lane to death for bullying him. He beat him. He beat him with the wooden dowel. He kicked him. He punched him. And then he realized I killed this kid. I beat him to death. So you have to remember that Richard has this knowledge of true crime from these magazines. So he realizes that he killed this kid, regardless of if he meant to or not, he murdered him. So he decides that, you know, watching or reading these true crime magazines, he, he decides that he needs to hide the body. He needs to get rid of the evidence. He doesn't want to get caught. So he found this vehicle right he stole this vehicle he placed charlie's body his bloody limp dead body into a stolen vehicle and he drove to dump charlie far away from the murder scene he took a hammer and used it to smash out all of charlie's teeth so they couldn't identify his dental record next he laid out charlie's hands which i assume would be on the pavement and he cut off each of his fingers After this, he tossed the body over a bridge into a freezing cold river, and on his way back home, he tossed the bits and pieces of Charlie Lane out the window like some sort of fucked up bloody parade, tossing candy out to children. So after this event, you know, Richard was forever changed. He began beating and eventually, he began killing people for simply insulting him in front of others, for challenging him, for, you know, looking at him the wrong way. He became a pool hustler. You know, he said that he, you know, he dropped out of school and he began hanging out in smoky pool halls. And we'll, we'll get into this encounter in a second at a pool hall, right? One of the his next serious incidents that he had. But he had this one tick, this one sound that would signal that violence was on the way. This tick would be a simple click of his tongue. And in regards to Richard's future wives and future children, well, I don't know if he used to beat his children, but he definitely beat his wives. If they heard the click of his tongue, they knew a beating was coming. But if a man heard the click of his tongue, it may very well be the last thing that he heard. Now, in regards to this encounter that Richard had with a police officer in a pool hall, this guy, the police officer, he embarrassed Richard in front of a crowded pool hall, in front of a crowded bar. You don't do that. You don't embarrass Richard Kuklinski. When the cop went to sleep off the night in his car, Richard obviously was stalking him, as you do, and he went to a gas station, filled a jug with gasoline he went back to the cop's car and he emptied it on the cop and on the vehicle and he threw in a lit match and he stood next to the burning vehicle and watched as the guy awoke from his sleep and burned alive. Richard seriously, Richard seriously just stood there and watched so he could hear and smell the guy burn to death. Fucking crazy. Now to my knowledge with my research this is his second murder. The first one was a murder of rage a murder of passion. It still gave Richard this sense of godliness that he can control who lives and dies but it was more or less him losing control. This murder was very much him taking control. In his early 20s Richard began dating a woman named Linda. I'm Not sure her last name but We know her name is Linda. When she became pregnant, he tried to make her lose the baby by punching her stomach. But when that didn't work, he said, you know, fuck it. Let's get married. A match made in heaven, that sounds like. So these two ended up having two children together. But any interview that I've seen where Richard talks about these children and that wife, he said he doesn't give a fuck about them. So that's always nice. That's always a nice thing to hear from your father. He eventually began working at a film company to support his kids and his family but you know he decided that he's going to make a little bit of extra money and he began making bootleg copies of Disney films and pornography and he ended up generating income from these bootleg films and some other drug deals that he made he eventually graduated from killing those that he he held grudges against to becoming a full-fledged contract killer. But before this, Richard formed a gang with several other people that they called the Coming Up Roses Gang. After the gang became involved in robbery, pornography, drugs, and racketeering, they began to gain some recognition from local mobsters. The De Calvocante crime family noticed the Coming Up Roses gang. And the leader of the De Cavalcante family was Carmine Genovese, also known as Meatball. Wouldn't you love to have the nickname Meatball? Like some people call me by my last name. Some people, you know, have funny nicknames for me and they're fine, but I don't know if I'd be cool with people calling me Meatball. But, you know, The reason that he was called Meatball is probably the reason why I wouldn't be cool with it. He was short and round like a meatball. And as we all know, mobsters come up with some very unique nicknames. Like Meatball for a short fat guy. With friends like these... (laughs) Now, the first job that the Coming Up Roses gang were given by this mob family was to execute a man. The Coming Up Roses gang, they decided that they would choose the heavyweight boxer out of the group, you know, the big tough guy, to commit the deed to to kill this guy. But when they drove to the spot and saw the guy they were supposed to kill, the heavyweight boxer, I, I believe his name was John, he froze up. He couldn't do it. The gang had multiple opportunities on at least two different occasions. And John was able to point the gun he had, like he had a shot, but he just couldn't take it his hand would shake. He just couldn't make the shot. He, he just panicked. He couldn't do it. So the third and final time that the Coming Up Roses gang saw their mark, John took his hand, you know, he took the gun out and his hand was shaking violently. He just couldn't get it steady to take this shot. And because of this, because of his hands shaking violently, Richard he became annoyed. He was pissed. He was like, this is ridiculous. You just pull the fucking trigger. So he got tired of this shit. He grabbed the gun and he takes care of the mark himself. He walks over, you know, he gets out of the car, he walks over and he just pops the guy in the face, walks back to the car, hands the gun to somebody else, says, let's go. And seeing how matter of factly Richard committed the murder, one of the members of the gang stated, quote, man, rich, you're cold like ice. And we'll we'll get into this in the following episodes. Some people believe that Richard got his nickname the Ice Man from how he would kill some of his later victims, how he would, you know, when again we'll go into it in further detail, but he would freeze some of his victims to change the time of death so that forensic investigators couldn't determine the time of death and it would make it more difficult for him to get caught. It would make it more difficult for their investigation But others claim that this statement from one of the gang members, that he is cold like ice or cold as ice, some believe that's why he got the nickname the Iceman. So it's up for debate for, in in my opinion, anyway. The mob hits that Big Round Boy Meatball gave them, they ended up funding Richard's gambling addiction. Now, out of these several guys in the gang, a couple of them from the Coming Up Roses gang, they made a terrible decision. They made a mistake. These guys fucked up. They decided to go and rob a poker game. But that poker game, and they knew this going in, it was full of made mafia men. And it was, it was a game of a made man. So they were robbing the wrong fucking game. They made a big mistake. The mob ended up telling Richard, because obviously they know these people, they work with them, putting on a fucking mask doesn't change your voice, doesn't change your mannerisms, your appearance. They know who the fuck you are. But they gave Richard a choice. Kill your friends, or everyone dies. These are some of Richard's only friends. The Coming Up Roses gang. You know, some of... He he even says in an interview, like, all my friends are dead. I killed most of them. So, obviously... Richard shoots both of the men in the head, killing them instantly. But, you know, with that, the Coming Up Roses gang, they kind of decided they didn't really want to mess with Richard anymore. Like, we don't really want you around, buddy. You know, you killed a bunch of people in the gang. In 1961, Richard Kuklinski, now in his early 20s, goes to work for Roy DeMeo of the Gambino crime family. To give you a bit of an idea of what roy DeMeo is or what he's like he's a human that's what he is but to give you an idea of what he's like there's a story that a former mobster told about roy about how he went to a meeting with roy and another member of the family you know to discuss business roy had been smuggling cars into kuwait basically he would pay someone to go and steal the car And then they wouldn't really change anything about the car. They would just take it and they would just smuggle it into Kuwait. They were just straight up selling the car. So he met with one of the members of the family to discuss this business thing. And while they were sitting in a restaurant, it was like, you know, the equivalent of what a Denny's would be today. Some older people just chilling, having a meal, eating some breakfast or whatever the fuck. So this mobster, he noticed that Roy was not very interested in the conversation and he just... Kind of matter of factly asked Roy if he was bothered, if he was if he had something else on his mind, or if he had something better to do, or you know whatever. What's your like? Why aren't you paying attention, man? Roy said, you know, everything's cool, man. I'm just thinking. And the mobster said, you know, like what are you thinking about? And Roy replied that you know, if he had two nine millimeter pistols he could simply get up and execute every one of these 60 or 70 year old people in a matter of seconds. So he sounds like a pretty nice guy. Sounds like a guy you'd want to meet in a Denny's. And you know, most of us know some of of the critical members of the Gambino family, right? Carlo Gambino was the Don in 1970. He led the Gambino family for nearly 20 years and was succeeded by his cousin Paul Castellano and Paul was the dawn until Paul was killed by the order of John Gotti. If you don't know any of those names, you should at least know John Gotti. Now, Roy DeMeo had this whole group of enforcers, this whole group of hitmen. So if you owed the mob money or the mob decided that you were done, they would put your lights out. Out of Roy's whole team of enforcers, Richard was his favorite. And in the next episode, we'll dive into the murders that Richard committed. Well, we'll discuss them in further detail. But one brief story I wanted to leave you with is that of Richard having a few drinks. One night after drinking, Richard became a little belligerent. And the bouncer decided that it was time for him to leave. So he removed Richard from the bar, which, you know, normally wouldn't be a big deal. Richard understands that this guy, you know, has has a job to do, right? You know it's it's kind of like like Richard, I mentioned Richard was like a chronic gambler, so you would think that he would be kind of a violent person if he lost, or whatever, but the idea is that Richard wouldn't bring that energy into games, he wouldn't bring that energy into things like that. You know, this guy was just doing his job kind of thing, right, but instead of just removing Richard from the bar, he humiliated him, he humiliated him, which we all know by this point is a no-no when it comes to Richard. But he humiliated him in front of other people in the bar. What he had done was when he was removing Richard from the bar, he had kicked Richard in the ass on his way out the door. Richard snapped. He was like, yeah, this guy's gonna fucking die. So for two days, Richard sat outside in his car and watched the bouncer. He basically cased the bouncer, cased the joint, and hung out during his you know, like outside of his work and watched him throughout the day. He looked at who was coming and going, and he finally saw an opportunity to take his revenge. So he left the vehicle, he got out of his vehicle, and he took his hammer out, and he walked up to the bouncer, and with one swing, he smashed the bouncer in the head, and the hammer became lodged inside of the man's skull. We'll go into more of his gruesome crimes in our next episode, but Richard really liked experimenting with murder. And what I find really fascinating is how somebody could go around and commit like a mass murder. He's not even like a serial killer. Like Richard is like a monster serial killer, right? He's, he's claiming that he's murdered at least 100 and maybe even possibly 200 people. So when we discuss these murders in the next few episodes, these first few murders that he committed were, you know, an act of rage, like he couldn't contain himself. It wasn't so much premeditated like the second guy was, but, you know, like beating Charlie Lane to death with a pool cue, that wasn't, or a a pool, uh, a closet dowel, whatever the fuck it was, you know, that wasn't premeditated. With these murders that we're briefly going to discuss here, basically Richard just, he just treated certain parts of the city in Manhattan like his own personal hunting ground. He would scope out and find people just on the street. He was really just looking for an excuse. Someone looked at him the wrong way or he said something, you know, someone said something the wrong way or, you know, he was just looking for an excuse to kill someone. Ultimately, one of his most common ways to commit murders was by taking a blade and putting it through like the underneath of someone's chin and trying to pierce the brain, killing them. That way, he found it was the most efficient and the least bloodiest way to kill his victims. But, you know, again, we'll get into this in probably the next episode, but in future episodes. But he, he really did like to experiment. There were some really weird ways that he would kill people, and we'll get into that in the next episode. He even described one way he would murder people as, quote, I put the rope around his neck, twisted it, and threw him over my shoulder and held him there. So, actually, I was the tree hanging him until he eventually stopped kicking. And, you know, one time, he basically, he just shot a man in the head with a crossbow simply to see how it would work to shoot a man with a crossbow. There was a guy that was on the street, and Richard said he just gave him a weird look or gave him a weird vibe. So, he said he rolled down the car window, rolled the window down, and said, "Hey, buddy." Come here for a sec. And the guy came over to the car door to be like, hey, yeah, what's up? And Richard reached over and grabbed the crossbow, which was already loaded. It was sitting in his passenger seat, and he just shot the guy in the head and then looked out the window, drove away. In the next episode, we'll dive into some of the brutal murders that Richard Kuklinski committed, and we'll talk about his time in the mob. We'll also discuss his family because it's a really interesting aspect of Richard's personality. In the interviews after he's been caught and he's been in prison, it's a really interesting aspect of his personality to say that he's apologetic and remorseful for the pain that he caused his family. So that's something interesting to get into. But you know, I I really just wanted to give you kind of an overview of him. We'll we'll discuss in the next episode a little bit about the uh weird things that richard did even when he was younger and how he would dress and things like that but i really just wanted to give you a kind of a baseline to start off with what richard was really like you know how he how he was shaped and how he was molded as a kid and how that affected the things that he would do in life and how he graduated from this this stealing off of trucks to provide for his family And we'll see in the next episode how he graduated into, uh, you know, a bigger criminal, a bigger class of criminal, but he would use these base level things that he was involved in as a kid, like stealing cars and, and breaking into food trucks, how he would use that and the earlier murders that he committed and how that would shape and mold who he was as a grown man. In our next episode, we'll dive into Richard's family life and the various brutal murders that he committed, and we'll also dive into more about who he was as a person and how these things that we've discussed in this episode shaped him into the man that he became. This episode is produced by Death Hotel Creative, hosted by myself, Dr. Mystery. To view more and to grab your exclusive cabinet of mystery merch, visit us at notwhatwesay.com. You can also check out our Instagram handle at Cabinet of Mystery, or our Twitter at Open the Cabinet. Please leave us a review if you enjoyed the show and let us know what topics you'd like to hear in the future. You can hit us up either on the socials or at cabinetofmystery at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voice message and appear in upcoming episodes, leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm of Mystery. For sources on this episode, please see the episode description. This show is proudly a part of the Slash and Cast Network. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe or follow for more episodes.